Let's pray together. Lord God, as we come to your word, Lord, I pray that you would enable us to just quieten our hearts and minds. We spent the first part of the service focusing on you and declaring your goodness to one another, delighting in children and one another. Lord, now as we gather around your word, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would give us hearts and minds open to what your Holy Spirit would say to each of us today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Recently, I was down at Soldiers Beach and uh, down there at the car park and this guy rocked up in this kind of hotted up Kingswood. It was lowered and it had these, on the rear end, it had these kind of oversized fat tyres. And uh, as he was driving out, just before one of the speed humps, you probably can't see it, but on the far left-hand side, that yellow speed hump there, he kind of brought the car to a halt there and... Uh, Just for a few seconds, he just kind of lit the back end up. I mean, it just, there was just smoke everywhere. And uh, within seconds, the car just became engulfed in this kind of blue-grey smoke. And of course, every eye was on him. And I was walking up from the beach, up the car park. And as I walked past the tyre marks on the road, for a moment, I just stared down at all that rubber kind of smouldering on the road. And I thought about the futility of what that guy had just done. It occurred to me that this is exactly how many people actually live their lives. So many people live their lives spinning their wheels. There's heaps of noise, heaps of smoke, lots of attention, but very little movement. They don't actually achieve very much at all. I mean, you think about it, the car is designed to move people from one place to another, and that's ultimately its purpose. The tyres are designed to help achieve that purpose. They make the motion of the car as it achieves its purpose, safe and comfortable and efficient. A good set of tyres, well-balanced and aligned, will last for many thousands of kilometres. Yet in that moment, that guy wasted maybe a third or half the life of those tyres. And we can do exactly the same thing when our li- with our lives. When we fail to see the purpose of our lives, and when we get off mission. A little while ago, somebody came to me with a business proposal. It was a a really good idea. It's a great idea, and it will, in my view, definitely make a lot of money for this guy. And on top of that, the fruit of this business will also bring great spiritual blessing to to many people. And he, he was offering Louise and I a chance to be involved in this thing and he was that he was putting together. And we could do it basically in our own time and the work would be enjoyable and actually very much related to our current ministry. And Louise and I both kind of went to bed feeling that we would probably take his offer and get involved. Through the night, however... God seemed to speak to both of us separately and it was, it was so good in the morning to say to Louise, I'm pretty sure God told me in the night that we just weren't to get involved. Even though it was a good idea, even though it would be bless many people for the kingdom of God, it was not our mission and to get involved would, would take us off mission. And it was so great to hear Louise say, yeah, I think God told me the same thing. This morning, as we look at a passage from Paul's letter to the Philippians, 
I want you to think very clearly about your mission in life. What has God called you to do with your life and are you on mission or are you off mission? Peter Drucker, the the, um, business leadership guru, says that we always need to ask, what's our business? And there's how's business. So let's turn in our Bibles to Philippians 3, verse 7. In this passage, Paul describes the Christian life as being like an athlete's race, not looking backwards, we are called to strain on to reach the prize. So let's have a look at God's word, Philippians 3. He says, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from faith, from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus." Let me ask you this morning, how long has it been since you sat down in a quiet, private space with an open Bible and an open heart and asked the Lord how you were doing spiritually? I mean, have you ever done that? Have you ever evaluated your life and asked that question, Lord, am I just spinning my wheels? Am I just spinning my wheels? Am I burning up a whole lot of energy, making a lot of noise, producing a lot of smoke, but not really going anywhere? That's a really hard conversation to have with yourself and with God. You know, I think it's one of the the most important conversations you will ever have. This is what Paul is doing in this passage. He's taken an honest, long, hard look at himself, and he's realized that he's not arrived. He realised that he's not yet achieved everything that he ought to have achieved. His love for God is not as as deep or as meaningful as it should have been. At one time, Paul would have proudly declared that he was blameless, that he had achieved everything that he could be achieved by the standard of the Lord. Now, however, he evaluates himself not in the light of his own human achievement, but rather he evaluates himself by the standard set by Jesus And as a result, he quickly realises just how far short he falls. Paul admits that he has not yet become mature in his faith. He knows he has a long way to go and he wants the Philippians and us to do the same. He he gives us an image, an image of an athlete with every muscle straining to win the race and to gain the prize. In using that imagery, Paul gives us three ingredients, I think, necessary for victory. Firstly, there has to be concentration and purpose in our lives. In verse 8 he says, I consider everything a loss 
compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And then in verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, knowing Jesus and being found in him is the one thing for Paul. And it should be exactly the same for us. Knowing Jesus Christ, nothing will come close to that. Knowing Jesus and being found in him, there is nothing more important than that. Yet we can spend all of our energy, all of our effort, just spinning our wheels on everything but knowing Jesus. Right now, I want you to ask yourself this tough question. Is that the focus of my life? To know Christ and to be found in him? Or is your effort, your concentration scattered across a whole range of things where knowing Jesus is just one of many aims and it's certainly not your priority? And the thing is, there there are so many things that aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves, but they're simply not the most important thing. In preparing this message, I asked myself this same question. And ask myself, what are the things which throughout my life have proved to be distraction from this one thing, knowing Jesus? What are the things which now I treat very cautiously? What are the things which I will not allow to have priority in my life? You know, if if I'm honest, if I'm really honest with myself, there was a time when making money and climbing the ladder of career success was more important than my relationship with Jesus. Well, I can tell you, I have decided now quite a long time ago, I will not let making money or advancing my career take precedence over my relationship with Jesus. There have been times when leisure, me just having fun, held a higher priority than knowing Jesus. You know, there was a time when when going for a surf was pretty much more important than anything else in my life. I can clearly remember Louise saying to me, now this is years before we were married. I thought, what, we've been married 30 years, so it's a while ago now. But I clearly remember Louise coming to me on a Sunday night, because I turned up for supper, like for after church supper, and saying, where were you tonight? Why didn't you come to church? I just said, I was down at the beach having a surf because to me that was like well that's the most important thing to get as many hours out there as possible there's been times when I really wanted to escape the accountability of connecting with other Christians I wanted friendship I wanted all the benefits that came with friendship but I didn't want people holding me accountable for my relationship with the Lord. So I avoided those relationships and formed relationships with people who really weren't going to bring me closer to Jesus, but would rather let me stay as I was. Nowadays, I'm very careful about my close relationships and I always ask myself, will this relationship keep me on mission to to know Jesus and to be known by him? I'm not talking about just the fact that we're called to love everyone. I'm talking about, you know, that inner circle of relationships that we had, just like Jesus had. 
These are hard questions. These are hard questions to face. But as I said to you before, these can be some of the most life-changing and some of the most important questions we can face. Paul continues, this is verse 13. He says, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. See, we've got to rid ourselves of anything that would slow us down in running after Jesus. Paul warns us to forget what is behind, that this is so important. If If you're a Christian, then your sins have been washed away. Everything that you ever have done wrong, everything that you ever will do wrong, has been completely washed away in God's sight. Thanks to Jesus, you are clean. Yet despite this, our memory still has a record of what we've done. And our enemy, Satan, will use that against us. You know, one of the ways that Satan loves to get at us and to slow us down is to replay the tapes of past sins and failures in our minds. Now, I know that many of you will understand what I mean when I say play the tapes. But for all of the digital natives, you know those born after about the year 2000? When I say play the tapes, right, I'm really meaning audio and video files. So you think, you know, MP3s, you know, uh, WAV files, ACC, M4As, M4P, you know, MP4s, etc., etc. One of the ways that Satan loves... He loves to get us and slow us down is to replay the tapes, the the record of past sins and failures in our minds, in our memories. You know, that can really slow you down. It can really make you feel worthless and useless and it can slow you down big time. Paul says that we're in a spiritual battle. Well, this is one of Satan's classic tactics. Don't let him play the tapes. Don't let him play back the memories in the dead of night. Jesus has paid for that sin. It is dealt with. Don't let the memories of your past ruin your future because you've been washed clean. You know, Satan will flee at the sound of Jesus' name. When when the, the tapes start playing, simply pray for protection, rebuking Satan And reminding him that Jesus has dealt with those things. Don't let Satan have a moment's victory. You know, I often say, I'm not having this conversation. It's just simply, I'm not having this conversation. And you think about what Jesus has done for you. Don't give him one day, not one hour of precious time, in reliving the past. We've got to own who we are. In sober judgment, we've got to say, yeah, I did these things and I know I struggle with this stuff. But that's different. The writer of Hebrews says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, get this, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. It's so easy to get entangled in sin. And we have to be so careful that we don't get caught up in the the trappings of this world. 
the, the, the things that can so easily take our focus of everything that God has called us to. You know, there's a, a classic old story that I've told often. And um, I'm going to tell it to you again. And I know that some people question the veracity of this story, but it's a great story and it illustrates this point so well. Well, I think it does. So I'm going to tell it to you again. There was a great Mughal emperor who lived in the 17th century in the area known today as Agra, city in northern India. The emperor loved his wife dearly. Unfortunately, she died. And he was so heartbroken that he took her body in the coffin out into a nearby field. And he declared that on this site, a great building would be built to house her body. Now that building is the Taj Mahal, one of India's most famous ancient buildings. Some here may have been to the Taj Mahal. Who's been to the Taj Mahal? Wow, I would have thought there would have been lots of people here. Blimey, if you've been to Norfolk Island, I would have thought you would have been to the Taj Mahal. Anyway, as the story goes, the building took many great years, many years to complete, 17 in fact. During the building process, the emperor became consumed with the details of this magnificent building and he spent a lot of his time there supervising the work and ensuring that everything was done well. Well, one day, he tripped over a dusty old wooden box. Angrily, he told the nearest workman to throw that old thing away. It was months before he realised that this was in fact his wife's coffin. He had thrown her body away without realising it. The very reason that he was building this enormous elaborate building which required the work of some 20,000 people was to house and honour his wife's body. And now it was lost. The reason? Very simply, the emperor lost sight of the focus of his energies. You know, we can so easily fall into the same trap. Once you become a Christian, your, your life's focus changes. No longer are you the focus, but Christ is now to be our focus. Now, if you read the earlier chapters of Philippians, you'll discover the, that, that Paul there emphasises that once we make a decision to follow Jesus, our status immediately changes. If you're a Christian, your status has now changed. You are now slave, servant of the king. Wow! Hallelujah! And all other priorities that are to be put aside for this one thing, to know and serve Jesus. Just think about it. The creator of the universe knows your name. He knows who you are. And he calls you to be his servant. You know, two, two groups of things that can hold us back and, and slow us down. There are good things which slow us down when we allow them to become priorities in our life. And then there are bad things. They're sins. Well, sin will always slow you down and you walk with your Lord. And you need to deal with both groups. And I've just kind of made some notes about some things that I've seen. You know, sport is a classic. It's, it's a good thing. Some of you are really good sports people. 
You, you have a God-given talent. But don't let that hold you back from the most important thing, knowing Jesus. Some of you may be really artistic or, or very musical, another God-given talent, but one that can distract you and hold you back from the most important thing, knowing Jesus. Maybe you're really bright, kind of academically, you rip in exams and you, you always do well at school. There's pressure from everywhere to do well, to really kind of make something of your life. Your good brain is a gift from God. Use it well, but don't let it hold you back from the most important thing, knowing Jesus. See, these things are not bad in and of themselves, but they're not to be the priority of our lives. Family is another. Now, you know that I believe that family is very important. I have four kids, and amazingly, they still want to hang out with me even though three of them have been married for five years. Family matters. Family really matters. It has to be a high priority in your life. But it is not to be the highest priority. Because being a good family person flows out of your relationship with Jesus. Career is another. I've spoken a bit about that already. But what about service? What about ministry? See, serving others should be a priority. But it shouldn't be the highest priority. See, I've seen too many people pour their lives into serving Jesus without spending any time actually having a relationship with Jesus. You know, those who live in this kind of, you know, intellectually charged Western world like we do, we love knowing about Jesus. That's not the same as knowing Jesus. Serving others should be a priority, but it's not the highest thing. You know, on the other side of the bad things, sins, these will always slow you down. Any sin will hold you back, particularly those sins like greed. Greed will take your focus of Jesus and everyone else and onto money and stuff. We can spend so much time and effort chasing things. Selfishness, being self-centred, is another sin that will prevent us from chasing after our goal to be like Jesus. Sexual sins, this is a huge one for some Christians. Sexual sins will store your growth as a Christian. When you sin sexually, it's like trying to run a race with your shoelaces tied together. You won't just, you just won't go anywhere fast. See, Paul says we need to get rid of anything that will slow us down. And finally, Paul says, we must put forward continual effort if we're going to win. He says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. We must decide what we want put all our energies into obtaining it, and then stick to it. So this passage speaks of energy and diligence and discipline. It deals with bringing every energy to bear in serving God. Now this is a difficult thing to, to kind of really understand because 
We are not called to simply work hard. We're called to let God work through us as we become channels, conduits of his love and grace. But we still have to work. Yes, some people piously say, I think my mum had a Robert Schuller glass thing that hung on the window with this written on it. Let go and let God. That's not in the Bible, by the way. And if you really think about it, it's pretty anti-scriptural, but we won't go there. I'm just letting go and letting God. We need to remember when we work, when God works through us, he works us. He works us. We build up a sweat. We need to work hard at being able to be used by God. You know, we read in, in 2 Timothy, these words about living holy lives so that God can use us. He says, in a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. When God works in us, we build up a sweat. And we need to work hard at being holy vessels, available to be used by God. And that flows directly from making Jesus the priority and making knowing Jesus the priority. How do we do that? What are the things which we should focus on if we're going to do that, if we're going to make Jesus and knowing him a priority? A number of things, but I just want to look at just a few of them few of the corporate things. We can, we can get some ideas from looking at the early church. Have a look at this, this verse from Acts chapter 2. It says, they, the believers, that is, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to their fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In other words, what we now call the New Testament. They devoted themselves to the studying of the Word of God. Can I encourage you to make coming together on Sundays and sitting under His Word a priority in your life? Now, I realise there are, are seasons, there are seasons in your life when, when doing this is nigh impossible. You know, I think about friends of mine who have got very old and you're in nursing care and, and people that have been through all sorts of, of, of things, you know, that happen in, in, in their life. Can I say, generally, throughout your life, make searching and living in the Scriptures part of your daily life. Make being part of a small group and attending that group, wherever it meets, whenever it meets, a priority in your life. Make fellowship, meeting together, loving one another, caring for one another, worshipping together, like we did this morning, calling one another back to God, declaring his goodness to one another, a priority in your life. I want you to notice it says that they devoted themselves not to fellowship as an idea, but rather to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the fellowship of believers. Now you think about it. If your husband or wife turned up at home once every couple of weeks, <clears throat> would you call them devoted? 
I mean, you wouldn't, would you? In fact, you'd probably start asking questions about the health of your marriage. The studies on church attendance from all over the world tell us that many believers attend church services about once every three weeks. You may be one of them. You may be one of the millions of Christians who turn up to church once every three weeks, once a month, once every five weeks. Don't be deceived. You are not devoted to the fellowship. Now, please realise I'm saying this in love and from a real concern for your spiritual well-being. And I know that things happen in your life. Louise and I have spent this last year longing for, looking for a fellowship to be devoted to. But for the first time in our life, we don't actually have a fellowship that we're devoted to and part of. Don't be deceived. Paul calls the fellowship of believers the body of Christ. And the scriptures call us to be devoted to the body, to lay our lives down for one another, to serve one another, to bear one another's burdens, to pray for one another. You simply cannot do that if you are absent most of the time. You know, in the last church that I led, I remember there was this one character who was particularly vocal about people who weren't at church and you know, I was involved with the school and, and I had to write references as a pastor saying that these parents had come for three months so that their school kid could get in to the school and all this. He was horrified when I challenged him and said, mate, do you realise that in the last kind of 18 months your attendance has been 6%? He just couldn't believe it. Well, there's the attendance. You're not devoted to the fellowship. You're lying to yourself. You're having yourself on. You really are. And if you're one of the millions of Christians who do not do that, that you're clearly the very opposite of that, you love Jesus, you love his church, you are devoted to the fellowship, let me encourage you today. Keep it up. Keep it up. Keep persevering. Keep pressing on towards the goal. You know, one thing I found is that you look around, you think, oh, there's probably 80 people or 100 people. Most people don't see all the 100 people. Most people, when they come to church, they're looking for four or five people. If those four people or five people aren't there, who's there? No one was at church. That's what they say particularly for young people, isn't it? You turn up to church and those three or four key people aren't there, no one was there. Because it really matters. It really matters that we just keep turning up, not always for ourselves, but for others. Next, Luke says that they devoted themselves to the, the breaking of bread. It's about fellowship as well, but it focuses the fellowship idea. Breaking of bread refers to celebrating the Lord's Supper together. When we do that, we together remember what Jesus did for us and we remember what it is that binds us together. We remember that which gives us unity. You know, I don't know anything, any other group in society that comes together with such a ragtag mix of people as the church. 
It's wonderful, isn't it? Where else do you get such a mix of people coming together from all ages and backgrounds and socioeconomic groups? What binds us together? What we celebrate at communion. His body and blood given for us. Finally, they were devoted to prayer, to praying for each other and with each other. Paul says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize to which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Pressing on toward the goal indicates that it won't be easy. At times it will feel like a grind. At times you won't feel like coming under God's word. Lots of times you won't feel like living out devotion to the fellowship. At times you won't feel like praying for and with each other. Yet this is where you will find the one thing which Paul strives after. Knowing Christ. That's where you'll find him. You'll find Christ with his people in his word. You find Christ in being united as a band of sinners, rejoicing in the goodness and the grace of God. You know, my prayer today is that we would ask those hard questions. Are we pressing on towards the goal of knowing Christ? Is it the one thing in our life which takes priority over everything else? Or are we spinning our wheels like that wretched Kingswood at Norahead? making a lot of noise, producing a lot of smoke, but really going nowhere. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord, I pray for each person here that your Holy Spirit would speak into their lives. Lord, that you would bind us together. You would reveal to us the things that need to change as you gently step by step lead us guide us show us how we need to change Lord we thank you for your love and grace so undeserved bless your people now I pray this in your strong and mighty name Amen